0: Created live on Fireside. The following program was recorded live on Fireside Chat. If you'd like to participate in these chats, join us every Thursday at noon Eastern Time at firesidechat.com slash scottmonty. Have you ever admired a leader and wondered just what it is that makes her who she is? How he came to embrace the things that advanced him? Welcome to Timeless Leadership, where we look at the principles that define success. This is a show for leaders at all stages of their careers who aspire to understand what it truly means to be a leader. And who is a leader? Dolly Parton said, If your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, you are a leader. Together, we'll explore key principles not only in the sense of fundamentals but also in the ethical sense. The habits, character traits, and virtues that form the backbone of leadership. Principles that are just as relevant and essential in the 21st century as they were in the first century. This is Timeless Leadership. Hello and welcome to Timeless Leadership, where we are in our second season exploring principles and virtues that accompany successful and admirable leaders. I'm Scott Monty, and if you aren't yet subscribed to the Timeless and Timely newsletter, where I regularly write about these leadership topics, please do so at www.timelesstimely.com. If you enjoy what you hear today, you can follow Timeless Leadership on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your shows. This week, we are talking with Len Hurstein about attentiveness. Success is a strange bedfellow. You know, we have to strive hard to achieve our goals, and once we're on top of that peak, we breathe it in deeply, basking in the glory that's resulted from all that hard work. So it's hard not to just kick back and enjoy the fruits of our labor, the appreciation of a job well done. But when we let our guard down, that's when we invite risk and potentially damage the project, the the progress that we've made. It reminds me of a show early on in the uh, second season, I think it was, of The Simpsons. Homer tried to jump Springfield Gorge on Bart's skateboard <laughs> in order to teach him a lesson the result was well as you would expect a violent fall where homer landed at the base of the canyon all bloodied and battered and the rescue helicopter sent a stretcher down for him and as it raised the he- the stretcher with homer on it it swayed to and fro and it smacked our hero's head against the side of the canyon the entire way up the then delirious homer was put into a An ambulance on the back of a gurney, and two harried EMTs closed the doors, and the ambulance took off, immediately smashing into a tree. The unsecured doors in the back of the ambulance then opened up, the gurney rolled out, and Homer goes over the side of the canyon again with another horrific fall. In this case, it was after saving the victim that the EMT's lack of attention to detail, not securing the doors, not to mention avoiding the tree, resulted in a repeat tragedy. Now, it's precisely at these moments, I'd argue, that our vigilance should be even more heightened, lest we slip back down the side of the mountain that we just scaled. In 2015, Len Hurstein became a reserve sheriff's deputy with the Douglas County Sheriff's Office in Colorado. In this volunteer position, he quickly learned the danger of complacency. Prior to that, Len had founded Manage Camp, producing 19 annual iterations of the brand Manage Camp Conference for marketers. His brand experience extended to Coca-Cola, the Campbell Soup Company, and Nabisco. It wasn't long before Len realized he was learning valuable lessons through his law enforcement training that could be applied directly back to business. Now, Len has developed actionable strategies to help business leaders in his new book, Be Vigilant: Stop Complacency, Improve Performance, and Safeguard Success. Len, welcome to Timeless Leadership.
1: Thanks, Scott. Man, this is I mean, it's already amazing. First of all, I feel like you could do uh, movie promos. I, I love <laughs> I love your movie promo voice. And, uh, anytime you can tie together anything I do with The Simpsons, I'm, I'm all, I'm all in.
0: Well, hey, I think we're going to have a lot to talk about today then, Len. (laughs) Um, In a world where The Simpsons were ever vigilant. (laughs) Um, this is great. Well, happy book launch day. Today is the actual day that the book has been released to the public.
1: Yeah. Thank you. It's unbelievable. I can't believe it's here. It's been two years since, since I had the idea and started writing and, uh, man feels like 10
0: <laughs> so so help me understand how you began to bridge together your volunteer police experience which began in what 2015 is that right mm-hmm. to yeah. to to the business world you know you still uh, have managed camp and 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 you run brand managed camp uh, as uh, events for marketers and business leaders talk about the bridging of this concept of vi- vigilance and and how it came to you
1: yeah, it was it was interesting because it wasn't something that I went in thinking about. So, you know, I got into law enforcement. I wanted to um, have an opportunity to give back to my community and make a positive impact. Um, and this was this was the format that I found. And, and I went in thinking this was going to be a completely different experience than anything I've done in my life, which it was, uh, obviously. But I was surprised at how quickly, from the very first day of being in the police academy that I realized that there were some linkages here. You know, b- when you become a police officer after, you know, being in business for 25 plus years, you can't help but come in with that different lens of the world. And when I was sitting there and hearing about this idea, one of the first things they kind of tell us about is this idea that complacency kills. And obviously, you know, that the meaning in that in law enforcement is, is, you know, immediate and understood. But I couldn't help but start thinking that complacency kills businesses, it kills brands, it kills organizations and it kills personal relationships and I became kind of obsessed with the concept in terms of understanding what complacency was and what we actually do in law enforcement to identify it and fight it on a daily basis with vigilance and then you know and then I just it, it just became clear to me that there were a lot of linkages back to business and life and that's where the book came from.
0: That's fantastic. So help me understand, what is it about humans that makes us get complacent?
1: Well, I mean, the first thing is that we are very quick to become overconfident and self-satisfied when we experience success. And so, you know, that's why one of the things that that I talk to people about is this idea that, you know, success is actually – um ironically the thing that sometimes makes us the most vulnerable and there's this idea that's called uh survivorship bias where you know you've seen the meme that says you know hey i survived lead paint and spankings and riding in the back of a station wagon with no seatbelt, you know and drinking from the hose you know click click like if you did too well you know the reality is if you didn't, if you didn't survive that stuff, you can't click like. And so that's what survivorship bias is. Only the people that survived made it through. And if you attribute everything you did to that success, that will bias you and that will give you a false sense of security. And that that's a human nature. And that's why complacency is always there. It's it's, it's lurking in the background, waiting for those right conditions to pop up, Um and, and our job is to, is to understand that and figure out how can we put it at bay.
0: Yeah, and you actually mentioned, you know, after you leave the uh, the, the, the sheriff's compound there in, in Douglas County, there's a sign there to remind you about that every time you drive out. What, what's the sign say?
1: Yeah, so the sign is um, from an organization called Below 100. The, the idea is to try and keep law enforcement deaths below 100. Uh, we haven't done it in a really, really long time. Um, and certainly we're not doing it this year, but you know, it, it goes through uh, several things wear your seatbelt, wear your vest, um, watch your speed, what's important now. And it ends with this, with this statement and remember complacency kills, right? Wow. And so it's one of those things that is driven into us every single day. And that's, that's, that's the, that's the, you know, the reality of complacency is that if you're not thinking about it, that's when it takes hold.
0: Yeah, that's so true. And you know, this this notion of survivorship bias, I mean, we see it expressed in all kinds of things. You mentioned that meme, uh, seatbelts uh, certainly are uh, a big one. You and I probably grew up in a generation that had to go from no seatbelts to seatbelts, probably even before we were drivers. Uh, yep. So it's become ingrained in what we do. And I think, quite frankly, we're seeing it now. With the pandemic, people are downplaying uh, the deaths, even though there's been over seven hundred thousand deaths now. They look at the rate of infection versus the rate of death, and they say, "Oh, ninety-seven percent, ninety-nine percent, whatever it is, um, that's good enough for me." So I'm not going to protect myself anymore. I'm going to be complacent, basically, and they and they wear it as a badge of honor. How do you how do you begin to combat something like that, where uh, people prefer? Complacency to being aware and attentive and vigilant.
1: Yeah, you know, I think, I think there's a, there's a delineation there that when, when you're making that conscious decision as to how you're going to act, you've identified, you understand the potential threats and you just interpret them differently. To me, that's a little different than you become so overconfident that you don't see the dangers, right? And so, you know, the the issue that I see as it relates to the pandemic and and everything that's going on is, you know, and you'll you'll see it is, it's very easy to be vigilant when things are going wrong. You know, you don't, you know, to tie mm-hmm. it back to business, you don't see a lot of, you know, bootstrapping startups maxing out their credit cards and working out of somebody's garage that are complacent, right? Um, it's when that success comes in. It's when we start experiencing that level of comfort, that complacency. And it's, and it's amazing how quick it comes about, right? So we can, you know, as soon as we start seeing some level of success or start feeling like we have, you know, achieved something that, that pushes us beyond, uh, you know, reach of the, of the virus, of the pandemic, we very quickly can get into a spot where we're overconfident and complacent and we ignore those threats. And so I do think that this is a great example of what's going on. I'm not sure that the people who are consciously deciding, you know, which way they want to go. I don't know if I would put that in in the world of complacency that that's just them,
0: you know, making different decisions. <laughs> yeah. uh, very diplomatically put Len. Congratulations. <laughs> um, well, and, and here's the thing, uh, just to stay on the topic of, of the pandemic now, because I think this is a, a kind of a, a microcosm of exactly what it is you're talking about here. Um, there are a number of, uh, of of contingencies uh that we can take up against it you know certainly vaccination is one um but there's there's masking there's social distancing i mean we've seen them all and i was just at a conference last week first conference i've spoken at in over a year and a half wow and we have a we have a seven-year-old at home she is unable to be vaccinated um -hmm. so i was i was masked up as uh, frequently as i could be in that situation and i was astounded at The rest of the crowd, there was not another single mask wearer in the entire crowd. And I thought, wow, we're letting our guard now, our guard down now that we've been vaccinated, thinking that that is the ultimate protectant. When in fact, there are layers of protection that we can take. There are lots of different uh, contingencies we can take to mitigate the spread of the virus. And, this, to me, seems to be very similar in your line of police work and in the lines of business of all the things that we can be thinking about that can mitigate um, failure or catastrophe.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it's interesting because one of the things that I talk about in the book that's important, I think, to kind of make the distinction between is, you know, complacency, as, as we've talked about, is this idea of of overconfidence and, and self satisfaction and smugness that leads to an unawareness of danger right and sometimes people think that you know they they get a little confused about what the opposite of complacency is and they think that maybe the message is that the opposite of complacency is paranoia is the fear (laughs) of all the things that could be out there right but but really the opposite of, of complacency is vigilance which is the awareness it's the difference between being fearful and aware I think part of the problem that we've had with this pandemic and and everything that's going on is just the confusion around what we should be afraid of and what we should be aware of mm. right and I think that leads to a breakdown in people's ability to to process information in their appetite to process information right and so a lot of the confusion a lot of the 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 lack of understanding as to You know, what is it that we need to be afraid of versus what is it that we need to be aware of? And how do we plan? And you talked about contingency plans, you know, and and scenario planning. How do we plan for those things that we need to be aware of? Mm. Um, the problem is that, you know, whenever we get into something where we're in the middle of a crisis, and one of the things I talk about in a book is the worst time to figure out what you're going to do in a crisis is when you're in the crisis, right? Because once you're, once you're in the crisis, if you haven't thought all this through, that's when panic ensues. And when panic ensues, that's when, you know, a lot of, that's when everything goes haywire, right? And I do think that's part of the problem we have is people have been, you know, overloaded with so much information and the ability to discern what is right and what is wrong and what is true and what is not has, has really kind of crossed everybody's wires and, and, and you know, made people burn out.
0: Yeah. And, and I think we're beginning to feel. Some of that burnout uh, already, and and I I love that that delineation between uh, between paranoia and vigilance. I mean, it's a it's a fine line, but but the way you kind of constructed it there of uh, paranoia being fear based uh, reminds me of uh, the Joseph Heller quote from Catch Twenty Two. I've been saying this since college. Just because you're paranoid doesn't mean they're not after you. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, uh, you know, uh, a healthy dose of awareness there, even when you are uh, paranoid. So um, you you mentioned, and I, I think this idea of, of crisis preparedness. Uh, you know, I, I was part of a, a big brand, big company, Ford Motor Company, and uh, mm-hmm. we had our share of crises, uh, certainly while oh, I was yeah. there, before I was there, and after I was there. Um, and, and it really is all about preparedness. And And sometimes you just, you never know, what the next crisis is going to be uh, you know if we knew what crisis is gr- crises were coming uh, then they wouldn't be crises you know uh, they, they seem to hit you from out of left field and yet you still have to be prepared for them can you talk a little bit about how we can prepare for things even if we don't expect them yeah absolutely in fact one of the, so
1: melissa agnes wrote um the uh preface to to my book and she actually runs something called the crisis management institute and they they, they that's that's all they do is they help businesses and governments prepare for crisis in terms of how they're going to react you know and some of that is identifying what all the potential threats could be and some of that is identifying how we're going to react to crises, to crises. I don't even know. You'd probably know the word. What's the better word? Crises, crises. or crises? Yeah. <laughs> crises. Okay. Um, that come up that we that we didn't know about, right? So it's 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 as much about understanding how we're going to react and what our processes are for reacting as it is for identifying what they could all be. Because obviously, we're never going to identify what they could all be, but we can identify a lot of them, right? And what happens a lot of time, especially in business. Is that we get so focused on the threats that we're comfortable with that we forget about the others, right? I call it the Roadrunner effect. You know, it's when Wiley Coyote gets so fixated on the Roadrunner, but the Roadrunner is never the thing that actually hurts him,
0: right? That's true. (laughs) It's always we're doing a lot of cartoon culture in this. (laughs) I love it. We got the Simpsons. We got we got the Roadrunner man.
1: We, we need something a little more up to date though we gotta get like a spongebob or something <laughs> um but th- but that's that's the thing you know like we can get so fixated on what we think we know you know I, if you think back to the Cola wars right and Pepsi and coca-cola so fixated on each other that you know they didn't maybe see energy drinks or Red Bull or you know water right all those all those things that they then had to then acquire later right um they were so busy thinking that the whole, th- the whole world was about Pepsi versus Coke that they lost sight of what, what was
0: going on around. That is, um, that is so powerful, Len. I, I, you know, these, these threats that we see, they, they usually don't hit us head on, do they? No, they really don't. I mean, you know, who would have thought that
1: the disruptor and, and the biggest threat in the solar energy industry, the people putting solar panels on roofs would be Elon Musk and t- Tesla. Yeah, right? Yeah. But that's what happened, right? And and people didn't see it coming. But they could have they could have, right? And and part of that is like I said, number 1 having people and processes in place whose job it is to identify threats. Whose job it is to have a 360 degree awareness to look at, you know, Current and future uh, potential competitors to look at where threats could come from from government regulation, environment, uh, supply chain like we're having right now. Yeah, right. Um, you know, all these are things that we need to have someone who has eyes on these and 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 starts to identify what we might do if right. What if right? It's very simple, and we do it in law enforcement all the time. We you know uh, you know it's we have a plan. For a lot of different things. So when I walk into a, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a pain to walk into a restaurant with my family doesn't like it anymore because, you know, I have specific places I'll sit, you know, and I, and I have to keep my eyes on things, but it's not because I'm paranoid. It's just I like to have a view of where the threats could come from, especially since I police in an area where I live. Right. Um, and so, you know, it's important to not only have that view of where the threats can come from, but also have a plan for what you're going to do if they come about. Um, and that, that, that's a big piece of this, but it's also about, like I said, understanding what we're going to do and how we're going to react if a threat comes up that we didn't foresee. And that's just as important.
0: That's great. Len, uh, you know, your, your background also includes some work with uh, Anderson, which then went on to become Accenture. Mm-hmm. I would imagine you probably learned SWOT analysis there, SWOTs, where you're talking about strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. And you mentioned assigning someone on your team to be responsible for uh, threat analysis, threat awareness. What if you're a small business owner and you don't have the breadth of staff to handle that thing? How should you go about thinking about uh, threats and and heightening your, your vigilance?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think... You know, it's interesting because what always kind of fascinated, by, fascinated me about the SWOT analysis is how much time we would spend on part of it. And then we would just kind of, it seemed like a lot of times we would just flip around to opposites. Like we'd come up with our strengths and the opposites of our strengths were our weaknesses. Right. <laughs> and we'd come up with our opportunities and the opposite of our opportunities were our threats. And, you know, it seemed like, uh, you know, a lot of times an exercise that we were kind of sleepwalking our way through um, what's important is to really, you know, so say you don't have, so you say you're a small business, right. And you don't have, you know, people to do that, but you have yourself, right. And, you know, it, you have to put time in your calendar because the, the thing about complacency is that again, it sneaks up on you, right. It, it, it's one of those things where, you know, it's a difficult book to sell to people sometimes because, you know, nobody walks around thinking they're complacent because if they did, they wouldn't be complacent. That's the, Definition of the whole thing. Right. So, you know, it's important to identify the fact that complacency is something that exists and that especially from a threat awareness standpoint, I have to put time on my calendar, whether it's daily, weekly, monthly to reevaluate, to question. One of the things that I talk about in the book is this idea of briefing and debriefing and making sure that we're debriefing even successful Uh, things that happen to us. But the key point there is to question everything, even when everything goes right. Right. And so we have to question our assumptions. And, you know, it used to be that we would plan yearly. We would do yearly plans. Well, the world moves way too fast for that anymore. You know, we have to be questioning our assumptions. Doesn't mean we have to be replanning, but we at least have to have something that makes us question our assumptions at a more regular interval. And I think, you know, if you're a small business owner and you're on your own, putting that time in your calendar, putting that hour or two every week to say, let me look for new threats. Let me actively look. What is going on out in my industry, in, you know, in adjacent industries, in, you know, the environment again, you know, geographical stuff, governmental stuff. What am I, what is happening out there so I can spend that time because otherwise, especially if you're a small business and you don't have the people, you let, you get, you're you going to let yourself, you know, your time is going to slip away, right? You're going to get sucked into a million different things. And you really have to be purposeful and intentional about putting the time away for that questioning of assumptions around threats.
0: Yeah. And that you know what, Len, you're, you're doing a great job of helping me promote the show because our first episode this uh, second season was all about intentionality. So mm-hmm. we're seeing I, I think kind of a, a recurrence of themes uh, here. And to me this this idea of reflection or meditation or spending quiet time, it's so important because we are constantly being interrupted. We are pulled in so many directions, so many notifications on our phones. It seems like in in one way or another, we're almost running from ourselves, keeping ourselves busy. Uh, scrolling through with our our thumbs, doom scrolling, as it were, or just zipping from one thing to the next. And I would imagine that when when we think about debriefing and when we're remembering, which I know is another key component uh, in the book, it can be hard. It's almost like post-traumatic stress disorder. When we go through an analysis of why we failed or what happened, it can be traumatic and, and it's human nature to want to avoid that kind of thing. And what I hear you saying is it's even more important to drill down and understand that to be able to kind of leapfrog ahead and avoid it happening again. Yeah. And I would even
1: argue that it's even more important to do it when things go right, when you have success. Mm. Um, if you, you know, when I talk to people in business and I ask them, do you do debriefs right now? Do you, do you debrief things that happen in your organization? And inevitably the answer will be yes, but right. The answer is yes, we debrief. And when I dig deeper, what we find is that they debrief when things go wrong, right? Something goes wrong and it, it becomes an, an exercise in under, trying to figure out what went wrong. And a lot of times in assigning blame, whose fault was it? Right. Why did this go wrong? Yeah. How do we make sure it doesn't go wrong? <laughs> the problem is, because it's uncomfortable, because we don't love debriefing, because we don't love doing it, right? When things go right, when we have a success, we don't normally think about going through that process. Mm. And here's, here's the problem, right? The problem is that we can have successes that could have been more successful, right? We can have successes in which we had many failures, but the end result was success. We can have successes that were purely by luck or because someone else on on an, on, a, on a competitor's team messed up, right? So, you know, what I tell people is you want to be Tom Brady, right? You want to be the guy who at the end of the game, no matter what, is going back and looking at that tape, looking for what can we do differently, what, what went right, what went right, but went right by accident, what bent, what went right, but could have gone better? And what did we actually do wrong that kind of got hidden by the fact that the end result was right, right? Mm. And so you know that process to me, is where we we fight complacency because it's it's easy to do it when things go wrong. It's very obvious. Um, but we don't often do it when we have positive results.
0: Yeah. And I'm I'm curious, as a Denver Broncos fan, are you allowed to quote Tom Brady?
1: You know, I was gonna throw in Peyton Manning there, but like with, since Peyton Manning we haven't had a we haven't had a quarterback that lasted more than like
0: eight minutes, so <laughs> that's all right. That's all right. <laughs> um and I, I I love that that quote when I put it there uh up on the um on the marquee. Uh Vigilance is questioning everything, even when everything goes right. It's such a powerful reminder can you Can you talk a little bit about the role of storytelling and how we tell each other stories and and how that pertains to uh, this notion of vigilance well i mean I, I think part of the purpose of stories in life
1: and, and in history right so I mean nobody knows stories more than you uh, and and that uh, it's always so interesting talking to you and you know, just pulling, being able to pull stories from all different eras and all different times and and all different types of literature. But I mean, a lot of times the purpose of stories is to help us remember, right? The purpose of stories is to help us remember and to help us learn. And you know, part of that is related to the fact that we like to forget. As humans, our brain is programmed to forget; otherwise, we'd go crazy, right? And so we like to forget things that are negative, you know. Yeah, we, we like to forget, you know, painful things, right? And we like to forget, you know, things that can really help us be more successful in, in the future because it's uncomfortable. Um, and so, you know, when you talk about stories, I talk about, you know, reminders. To me, that that kind of relates back to this chapter in the book about reminders and about how do we make sure that we don't forget the things that we need to remember, but our brain would rather forget Mm. and whether that's, you know, Greek mythology or, you know, any of the other stories that, that you deal with. I mean, in, in my world, you know, what that a lot of times relates to is how do I create stimuli in my life, in my day that immediately brings me back to a story in my own head. And that, that, that's, you know, that's why like right now I'm wearing a, um, you know, a little silicone bracelet on it. It says, be vigilant, right? Because I forget, you know, I wrote the book called be vigilant and I still (laughs) <laughs> I'm not vigilant all the time, right? And when I feel that bracelet, I don't even have to look at it. I know what it says. When I feel it, I put my hand on it. I, 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 I question myself. I think to myself, you know, what am I doing right now? What am I missing? You know, what, what should I be thinking about? And that comes from something we do in law enforcement a lot. Like, you know, we have, you know, I, I, this idea of the, of the little bracelet came from, you know, we have bracelets to commemorate people we've lost or, you know, people who have uh, been, you know, severely injured. And, you know, I wear those around on my belt, uh, around my handcuff case. And, you know, I don't even have to look at them or anything. When I put my hand on them, the tactile feel of that brings me back to the story in my mind and teaches and, and reminds me of what I needed to learn from it so that so that none of this happened in vain. Huh. And those are the stories for me yeah. um, that, you know, it's a, it's about having those stories, but also about reminding ourselves to think about them.
0: Yeah, I mean it, it it's human nature to just keep plowing forward and you know even the the stoics if you follow stoic philosophy one of their things is having a memento mori uh which is a typically a physical reminder it could be uh something we keep on our desk something we keep in our pocket but it's a reminder that we are mortal and mm-hmm. that our time here is limited and that there are things that we need to be aware of. And, um, you know, it, it's, it's a powerful thing, whether you reach your hand into a pocket and, you know, feel a coin that, uh, si- signifies your memento mori or, uh, look across to a shelf or whatever. Uh, so I think that's, uh, very consistent with what you're talking about, Len. Yeah. It
1: reminds me of, you know, in the book, I talk about one of my favorite movies is Memento. <laughs> talk right? about that a little bit. Oh, well, it, well it, it, what was it? It was Guy Ritchie, right? Yeah. Guy Ritchie, and and you know the movie is just so interesting because it kind of moves. You kind of the way it manipulates time and works backwards, but it's basically about a guy who um, has a memory, you know, a short-term memory loss, and and finds and has to solve some sort of murder, and and has to leave himself notes, whether it's tattoos that he gets put on his body or you know things that he that he leaves for himself to help him remember, and these mementos kind of work him backwards. Through, through the entire movie until, you know, I won't re- reveal the, uh, the ending. If you haven't seen it, you should definitely see it. Great movie.
0: It's a powerful movie. It's, and it's got one of those wow endings like the usual suspects. So, um, yeah, you know, it, it, it definitely has an effect. So, uh, well, that's, that's a, that's a great example, a great reminder of, uh, why this is so important. Now, Len, you say your, your business and relationships depend on it. Uh, talk a little bit about, the relationship aspect and and why vigilance is important in relationships. Yeah, absolutely. I I think one of the places that we're most
1: complacent in life is in our relationships. We take them for granted, right? Because, you know, quite often, you know, you don't really realize that they're going bad until it's too late, right? You've, Mm. You've neglected them, whether it's a friend or a loved one or, you know, a spouse or a child, we take those, those, we get overconfident in those relationships and we don't spend the time thinking about, you know, where could the threats come from? You know, how do we, um, you know, debrief and brief and, and, and make sure that we're building on the strengths of our relationships and identifying the potential weaknesses, you know, where, what are the reminders that we put in place to, to teach us to remain present and in the moment and all the things we have to do, you know, being accountable and, and, there, there's so many, there's so many ways that, you know, when I, when I look at relationships that fail, whether it's in my own life or in other people's, you know, a, most of the time you can tie that back to some level of complacency, you know, people who mm-hmm. had really strong relationships that deteriorated, you know, it was because they lost touch with what was going on. And, and a lot of that stems from some overconfidence.
0: Yeah. Or uh, simply taking each other for granted. Mm-hmm. You know, assuming that it's always going to be the same or someone's always going to be there for you, things happen in life. Uh, we experience tragedy and loss. We experience joy and success. Uh, we can move in different directions. And if we don't kind of keep our finger on the pulse of the relationships that matter to us, uh, then they can certainly be negatively affected. So I think that's a, that's a really great observation. So Len, talk a little bit about metrics. I know we 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 were just talking there about um kind of determining your KPIs, your levels of success. I think we we need to know what we're going to to measure if we're going to determine uh, whether we're successful or not. But you have a whole chapter in the book dedicated to metrics around vigilance. Can you can you talk through that with us?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So one of the things I talk about in the book so that the the chapter is actually uh, kind of around this idea that just because there's no bleeding uh, or just just because you don't see blood doesn't mean there's no bleeding, right? And what it gets, you know, it kind of goes back to some things that I've learned in law enforcement, but, you know, really what it gets to is are we looking at the right metrics? You know, I was just talking with someone else before I got on uh, this call today and was, you know, talking about this idea that we have so much data available to us. And back at, back in the day, before we had all, all that data, we thought that was going to be the answer to everything. But sometimes the data leads us in the wrong direction and we can misuse metrics. We can, metrics can actually help us become complacent if we're do, if we're using them Hmm. the wrong way, right? So one of the ways that we can, you know, use them wrong is if we're using too many of them. Sometimes we, um, you know, use way more metrics than are helpful in allowing us to make the right decisions. And In the book, I kind of relive the story told by Malcolm Gladwell in Blink about uh, the Chicago ER, where they were having a hard time correctly um, identifying people who were coming in with heart attacks. And the problem was they were looking at all the wrong things. And what they found out is that, if they focused on, I believe it was four metrics, four metrics that had nothing to do with what the person looked like, the the color of their skin, their age, um, you know, how overweight or underweight they were, had nothing to do with any of that. It was four specific metrics. They immediately became um, significantly better able to identify people who were actually coming in with heart, heart attack. Whereas before they would look at the person and would say, okay, well, this person's elderly and they're overweight and they're a smoker and all these things. And so, you know, I don't really know, but they're probably having a heart attack. All those extra metrics led them down the wrong path. So that's one way that we misuse metrics that can mm. help us become complacent. The other thing that we do a lot of times is we use the wrong metrics and, you know, uh, another author, Eric Rees, he talks about this idea of vanity metrics, metrics that are set up to make us feel good, right? Like clicks or, um, you know, opens or things, you know, like things that don't necessarily translate back to engagement or, you know, our end goal, which is making a sale or whatever we're trying to accomplish. Right. And so a lot of times we can get distracted by vanity metrics, um, that allow us to become overconfident when they're not really relating back to, to what we want to do. And then a, a third way that we can that metrics can really get in the way of what we're doing is when the metrics incentivize us to do the wrong thing. You know, I tell the story, uh, you know, I know you love stories, and you probably know the cobra effect story maybe in, in colonial India where um, they were trying to fix a cobra problem. They had a lot of cobras, and so they put a bounty out on cobras. Well, what happened was the enterprising people of colonial India, um, started breeding cobras so that they could then kill them and get the bounty. And then when they finally figured that out and they, and they ended the bounty, they were left with infinitely
0: more cobras than they had before they started. That's a great story. Great example. Um, we don't, sometimes we don't think through the full impact of what our, uh, what our incentive process is. Yeah, and it's interesting because, you know,
1: a lot of times people will say, well, those are unintended consequences. And in my mind, there's no such thing as unintended consequences. There's just consequences that weren't considered.
0: Mm. Unanticipated, maybe. Yeah, yeah, maybe. Well, you know, this is uh, kind of reminiscent of my early days at Ford when Alan Mulally got there a couple of years before I did. He He instituted a process every Thursday called the Business Plan Review, or BPR, Mm -hmm. And what it was designed to do was to create uh, accountability within the organization because before that people were kind of blaming each other and uh, just kind of going along. Um, So every executive had to show up and report out on his or her uh, division and exactly where they were with regard to the plan, uh, red, yellow, or green, whether they were off plan, moderate, or uh, succeeding. Mm-hmm. And, and what that did is it created a moment every Thursday of complete transparency across the entire Ford Motor Company globally. So in, in three hours, you knew exactly where the company was heading and what, what it needed to focus on in order to improve. And, and look, you've got people in those meetings who are talking about threats, who are talking about, uh, competitive interests, et cetera. So it really became a crystallizing process. And in your own, uh, book here, you talk about accountability and transparency and I was really astounded to see that. Can you, can you talk a little bit about why accountability and transparency are um, important with respect to the concept of vigilance?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I, you know I, I talk a lot about that and I think it's important. it's really important, you know, obviously in the era in the era we are and the relationship that the public has with law enforcement right now, um you know it's become even more clear right in terms of you know the value of accountability and transparency and and for me it, i call it the ATV model accountability plus transparency equals vigilance so vigilance comes from the combination of those two things and so first you have to have accountability you have to publicly identify what you're going to stand for and how you're going to measure that right and it's so important these days Because what happens is we live in a world where trust has been eroded, right? Over Mm. time, we've eroded trust. And what that results in is what I call it is, what I talk about is I say, we we now live in a world where we don't have the benefit of the doubt. You know, back in the day, when something went wrong, we didn't immediately assume the worst about people or organizations. Mm. We gave people the benefit of the doubt. But that's kind of gone these days because... Of that lack of trust. The immediate assumption when something happens, especially if there's no information out there, if there's an information gap, people will immediately fill that in with the most negative potential answer they can find, right? It's just human nature now. And so part of combating that is holding yourself accountable, right? Is putting out what you're going to measure yourself by. But then the second piece of that is being transparent about those measurements of being transparent about how you are um, progressing along with the things that you are holding yourself accountable for and providing that information The combat the combination of those two things does, does, does a few different things. Number one is it helps build that trust so that perhaps you can earn some of that benefit of the doubt so that people don't always assume that you're out there doing the worst possible thing you could be doing. It also, by putting that out there, forces you to be more vigilant, forces you to be more in the moment, understanding what's going on, paying attention to the potential threats that are out there because you know that you will be held accountable and that you will have to provide that transparency. So just just putting the process in place makes you more vigilant. And then that vigilance creates a much more positive environment and a much more positive relationship,
0: you know, with your constituents. I love that. And, and, you know, this, this concept that, um, when there's an information gap, we automatically assume the worst. I mean, that's, you see that in so many instances uh, across businesses, across relationships. And we could, we could help ourselves a little bit if, if we're not going to, uh, hue to the accountability and transparency that you talk about. Well, at least know that most people are not evil. Uh, Most people's hearts are in the right place. Sometimes it's hard to remind ourselves of that every day, but that could be a a really good start. Yeah. Well, and
1: and it's something that has been, you know, really prevalent in the world of law enforcement, right? Mm. I mean, there is no quicker way to, to have the assumption of guilt from the law enforcement side in terms of how people view them than to not have a body camera than to not have captured footage of what went wrong. Because the assumption at this point, unfortunately, because of the erosion of trust, is that whatever happened, if it wasn't
0: captured on video, was probably malevolent. Mm. Yeah, and uh, look, we uh, until the advent of body cameras and other uh, security cameras and whatnot, uh, the average citizen really didn't understand what police officers went through. I mean, I'm I'm sure you saw both sides of it once you became uh, a volunteer Uh, sheriff's deputy Uh, some of your assumptions were probably completely blown out of the water
1: yeah oh yeah i mean you know once once you're on this inside of anything of course you see you see the realities better i mean you know the the good thing for me is i never i never policed in a world without body cameras so my department has been using body cameras since very very early on and i love them i absolutely love them i uh i think they're great um but you know like you said there, there are things that that you
0: know, you can never know about any profession, uh, until you're inside. So Len, as we wrap up here, what's the single most powerful piece of advice you can give to people with regard to staying aware of their attentiveness and being vigilant in what they do? So, I
1: mean, the first step is, is, is just being aware, right? So the, the, making yourself constantly understand the awareness Of the potential vulnerabilities that come with complacency and that just that awareness, just that paying attention to it immediately makes you more vigilant. But for me, you know, if I had to tell people one thing about what I'm trying to accomplish with the book and what the, what, what this can do for you, it's this idea that the end goal is not success. The end goal is keeping that success. And so that's what this is all about you know, this is most relevant for people who have experienced some level of success in their lives or in their business. And this is about how do we make sure that that success doesn't make us vulnerable? How do we make sure that we have a plan of vigilance? And the book has 10 specific vigilance strategies that you can use right away to help you identify complacency and Put it at bay with vigilance so that you can protect that success you've worked so hard to attain.
0: Such a powerful reminder. Success is not the goal. Keeping it is. Len Hurstein, author of Be Vigilant, Strategies to Stop Complacency, Improve Performance, and Safeguard Success. Your business and relationships depend on it. Where can people find out more about your book and you? So if you just go to lenherstein.com,
1: L-E-N-H-E-R-S-T-E-I-N.com or bevigilantbook.com, you can get all the information and all the links are there. You can buy it today on Amazon uh, or Barnes & Noble or Apple Books or wherever you buy uh, your books. You can most likely get it. Um, and then I would also encourage people to reach out and connect with me on LinkedIn. It's just Len Hurstein. If you just search for Len Hurstein on LinkedIn, Reach out, connect with me, and I love hearing the stories. I mean, I, I just took notes on, on your story about, um, what you guys did at Ford with the business plan review. And I just love to hear about, you know, people's stories about where they think they're complacent in their own lives and their own business
0: and what they're doing about it. And, um, I, I, you know, please connect with me. I'd love it. That's fantastic. Lots to think about. No doubt. Well, Len, thank you so much for being with us. Thanks for having me, Scott. It's always. Awesome talking to you. You're one of my favorite people, and uh, I appreciate you having me on the show. All right. Successful leaders know that success is not survival and that threats always loom. Only by being aware, attentive, and vigilant in moments of calm as well as in moments of crisis will leaders be ready for what awaits. Thank you for joining us and for being an advocate for timeless and principled leadership, whenever and wherever you find it. I'm Scott Monty. Until next time, may you dream more, learn more, do more, and become more for you, are a leader.